The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Matthew, uh, found on page 807 of your chair Bibles. That's Matthew 1, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, please feel free to take the one that is in front of you as our gift from us to you. Again, that's Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, page 807. <clears throat> now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. All right. I'm excited to be with you and look at this incredible text together. But let's pray before we begin and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we, we really want to have an interaction with you as we look at your word. We want to, to be touched by the living God. Um, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us as we consider this passage. Lord, give us open eyes to consider what you're saying to us and give us uh, soft hearts to not only believe the truth in our minds, but also to have it uh, change us, form us, uh, win our affections. So please, Lord, please come and preach a better sermon than I can. Help me to teach it faithfully, and I pray that as we look at it together, you would speak to each one of us personally to the heart, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been looking at Matthew's account, remembering what Christians are celebrating at Christmas, and this morning we get to remember the most incredible miracle there really ever could be imagined, don't we? We are celebrating God taking on human nature through a virgin birth. That's incredible. It's incredible, isn't it, to think that one who formed the stars would be breastfeeding. Amazing. In fact, the virgin birth is so incredible that many see it as being just too impossible to believe. It must just be a, kind of a cute myth. Some Christian leaders have even said we should make belief in the virgin birth optional for what it means to be a Christian. That could allow for more, you know, a, a modern view of things. What do you think of that? Well, the virgin birth is hard for some skeptics to believe, 
Imagine what it must have been like for Joseph. That sounds like a rough conversation. Can you think of it? Imagine Mary saying, uh, can, we, can we get coffee? Um, I have something to tell you. I'm pregnant. And he's, he takes that in. He's, he's angry. He's, he's saddened. He says, who was it? He says, was it a Roman soldier abusing you? Uh, what happened? And she says, well, no. Um, an angel came and told me that I would be pregnant as a virgin. And that's what happened. I remain a virgin and I am pregnant. What would you say if you were Joseph? That must have been uh, hard to believe. Hard to believe. He must have thought, my sweet Mary is either a crazy liar or just crazy. You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, ancient people, they had an easier time believing in miracles than we do, right? They believed everything so easily. We know better now. We have iPhones. Well, Joseph may not have had an iPhone, but he did know where babies come from. That's why, as the text tells us, he was seriously considering legal divorce. Why was he considering divorce? Because the virgin birth was hard to believe. To the point where he's considering divorce, you'll remember he was betrothed to Mary, so in that culture, betrothal was far more serious than, say, our version of engagement. Um, when you were betrothed, you were as good as married legally, though culturally there was still a time of physical separation. The wife would still stay in her father's house, and there would be no consummation of the marriage. You do that after the community wedding celebration. So Joseph and Mary are legally married. That's why Joseph is seriously considering not a breakup, but divorce, because it's hard to believe in the virgin birth. And yet, as hard for, for Joseph as it was for him to believe, he ended up believing it. He ended up embracing it with his whole heart to the point where he brought in Mary as his wife, to the point where he adopted Jesus as his son, to the point where he would embrace all the shame that came from that situation in a traditional culture like that one. He believed it to the point where he wouldn't consummate his marriage physically with Mary until after Jesus was born. He didn't have to do that after he brought her in to his home, but he did. Why? He believed in what was happening, and he wanted to honor it. If anyone was ever going to be a skeptic, it would be Joseph. And he believed it. He, was, he believed that this ultimate miracle was true. You know, in a way, I think everyone believes in miracles. In a way. What, what do you think of that? Say... Try this on. Say you're an atheist. Wouldn't you have to believe that something came from nothing? Would you have to believe that life came from non-life? Would you have to believe that complexity came from simplicity? Would you have to believe that personhood came from simple material? Would you have to believe in infinite positive mutations without design? Would you have to believe in justice and meaning from randomness? I don't know what you call those. I call those Miracles. 
of the highest order. In fact, maybe they're even more miraculous because there's no one to actually do the miracle. There's no miracle worker. Most spiritual and religious people believe in miracles of some sort. Don't most people believe? They do. We know this from polls. Most people believe in God somehow creating the universe. What kind of a person is it that can create the universe? Mind-blowingly wise, mind-blowingly powerful. The issue isn't really whether or not the amazing or the miraculous is possible. After all, here we are on a rotating rock spinning at massive rates of speed around a burning orb of fire just close enough not to burn up, but instead to enable life. Wow. Now, the issue is not whether or not we can believe in the miraculous. The issue is whether or not the miracles we believe in are true. That's the issue. The issue is whether or not we know the truth that the true miracles teach. That's the issue. So here in this text, Matthew wants to let us know of the greatest, truest miracle, and then he wants us to know what it means. He wants to see what it means. So that's what I want to look at with you this morning. See the miracle and hear what it means. The truest miracle and the truth of the miracle. So we'll remember verse 18, the truest miracle. Matthew tells us the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Mary came to be, she was found with child from the Holy Spirit. We're seeing already that the virgin birth is the work of the triune God. The power of the Holy Spirit has ushered the eternal Son of God into the womb of this young lady as a human baby. All the normal processes of the nine months without any biological human father's involvement. That's what we're claiming. That's what the Bible says, that's what these historical documents teach, that's what Christians have believed. And Mary knew this was coming, didn't she, as part of God's plan? Imagine if she didn't, by the way. No, she knew this was coming. Look at Luke, chapter 1. This is important to know. Uh, Luke, a lot of people think, tends to write uh, from the perspective more of Mary, where Matthew tends to write from the perspective more of Joseph. We see Mary's experience here, Luke, chapter 1, look at verse 30. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great, and he will be called, what's he going to be called? Son of the Most High. Do you begin to see part of the reason for a virgin birth? Whose son is he? We continue on. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. I know you're all proud of your children, but this is different. And look at Mary's response. Again, she's not like, oh, ancient first century mythological person. Sure. No. What's her question? It's a good one. How can this be since I am... A virgin. She knows where babies come from, too. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Therefore, this child is different. There's no human father. Implanted by the Holy Spirit, the, the eternal Son of God will take on flesh the Son of God. The virgin birth is the truest miracle. It is God's doing. An angel visited Joseph as well. We'll go back to our text, Matthew 1, 
Verse 20. <clears throat> As he considered this thing, Joseph, right? He's, he's saying he's ready to get divorced. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And you think, wow, there's a lot of angels here. That's usually not the way my life goes, my decision making. Lord, send an angel. He probably won't. The way we make choices today is uh, we read God's word, we know the principles of his word, we, um, we consort with wise community and learn we see what the open doors are in our life. You know, I think God wants her to marry me. Well, what'd she say when you asked her? But you think of this situation. How are Mary and Joseph going to know that this is happening and why it's happening? How could they possibly have a concept for this without, I mean, how's Joseph gonna believe this without basically a right hook in the chin that he cannot ignore? He has to see something like an angel that tells him what's occurring so that he can survive the rest of his life and do this right. And God gives him exactly what he needs. And look, look at what the angel says to Joseph. Joseph, and then he says, son of David. Why did he bring that up? David would have shot off bells for any religious Jew. That's, that's the ultimate king. That's the king God made a promise to, that one would come from in that kingly line, and that one would reign forever. Hey, Joseph, that's what I'm doing right now. That's what's happening right now. This is God's work. We know Joseph was a righteous man. Fellas, listen up. He's a righteous man. Ladies, you, you want to marry somebody like this. He had a wonderful mix of justice and mercy, didn't he? He wants a faithful wife with a godly sexual ethic. He does, but he doesn't want to shame her. He's not self-righteous. He's not pouring her out for, um, for everyone to mock her. He wants to do it quietly, protect her. He's full of justice and mercy. And when the angel says, hey, Joseph, what's happening here? This is God's work. Joseph is all in. He's not ashamed to embrace everything the moment would bring. He's going to suffer in this, and he's willing to do it. Because this is what God is doing. The virgin birth is God's work. It's not something to be embarrassed about. It's been core Christian belief from the beginning. You remember the Apostles' Creed? Ancient creed of Christian belief. What do we believe about Jesus? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of who? The Virgin Mary. Or the Nicene Creed. A little bit later on, this is what Christians say. This is about Jesus. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. This is the miracle, the truest miracle. God has done it. The Son of God in the Virgin Mary. Now, the Bible doesn't claim miracles to be normal, right? Miracles are not to be expected in everyday life. No, it doesn't count as a miracle when you pray and you get a parking spot at the mall. When God does miracles, he does them for a reason. He does them to wake us up, to convince us of, of something. Biblical miracles always convey a message. They always convey a message. They're to shock you into listening 
and the virgin birth, uh, no less. The virgin, there's four things the virgin birth is telling you or that God is telling you through this miracle. Listen, I want to show you four things. First, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. Matthew writes, as he does all the time, all this took place to, does anybody see the next word there? To fulfill what the Lord has spoken. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken. Why did it take place? God had made a promise. And this event was God keeping his promise in ways better than we could ever expect. That's always how God keeps his promises. He keeps them in ways better than we can expect. And so Matthew is saying, this claim of the virgin birth, it, it's not like some people say, grabbing on to some polytheistic uh, mythology. There's no way. Take historical reality into context, right? This is a first century Jew. He would never believe in Zeus impregnating some lady. That, that's not even really the concepts of what we're talking about. This is the Jewish version of a holy God. You can't even go into the temple to be near him. And Matthew is saying, he, that God has made promises. And the virgin birth is God keeping the promise. God is bringing his story of salvation to culmination here. This is the climax of the story. Remember the biblical story, right? The Bible is, is one story with one storyline. A good God made humans good to be satisfied in him in fellowship with one another, but we fell into sin. You remember what sin is? We believe the lie, God's not good. We believe the lie, his word is not true, and so we replaced him. And that brought death and chaos of every kind. But in God's mercy, there was a promise right then. One would come to save us. One will come. The virgin birth is God keeping his promises. The one has come. Church, what do you need to know about God's promises from the virgin birth? Number one, he makes them. Have you been listening to God's promises? Isn't it incredible that God is a God who communicates promises to people? You, you could never, what, drive up to God's house, knock on the door, hey, talk to me. I want to know you. How could any of us force God into relationship? How, how could we ever even conceive of him unless he came to us? And he has. He's come in his word. He speaks so that we can know who he is and what he wants. And he makes promises to us. And he will surely always keep them. And he will keep them in ways better than we expect. Are you listening? A virgin birth shows you God never forgets his promises. He keeps them. The second thing the virgin birth is telling us is that God has come. I want to give you a little bit of a context on the section of Scripture Matthew's working from here. It's from the book of Isaiah. This is 700 years before Jesus. Do you realize that? 700 years. That is so long. I don't even know how to put that into perspective. That's a long, long time, 700 years before Jesus. In context, in Israel's history, you've got Ahaz. He's the king of Judah in the line of David. Judah and Israel have split at that point. Ahaz is an idol worshiper. He hates the God of the Bible. And he's in political danger. That's what's happening in Isaiah chapter 7. The king of Syria and the king of Israel are out to destroy him. 
The reason this is important is because the prophet comes to this unbelieving king who's in political danger and basically says this, God is so committed to the Davidic line that he has promised he is not going to let Israel and Syria's scheme destroy the dynasty. He is going to come through for you, even though you are unbelieving. And so the prophet, or God through the prophet, says to Ahaz, trust me, man. Trust me. I'm going to come through for you. Look at Isaiah 7, 9 to 11. Let me show you. This is what the prophet says to Ahaz. He says, if you're not firm in your faith, you won't be firm at all. Ahaz, quit relying on your political skills, on your power. Rely on me. And then look at verse 10. The Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. That's amazing. Have, have any of you ever asked God for a sign? We do that sometimes when we're seeking or we're hurting. Lord, if you're really there, show me by doing whatever. Maybe he came through for you. Maybe, maybe you're looking in the wrong way. I don't know how that went for you. But imagine God saying to you, go ahead and ask me for a sign. I want to prove myself to you. Go ahead. And then the language here, as high as heaven or as low as Sheol, what does that mean? Ask me for anything, and I'll do it. I want to show you I'm worthy of your trust. That's incredible. What would you ask for if God gave you that offer? Shockingly, Ahaz won't even ask. He doesn't even want to know God. He doesn't want to try even God's faithfulness. He rejects him and says, no, go away. That's going to bring destruction later for Judah. It's going to bring devastation to the Davidic dynasty. But God still will not give up. And this is God's response to Ahaz's unbelief. Look at Isaiah eleven, thirteen to 14. This is what God says. Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. I'm going to give you a sign that I can be believed. I'm going to give you a sign that blows you away to such an extent that you'll have no other option as long as you have any intellectual integrity to realize I'm a faithful powerful God. Look at the sign. Verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Does anybody know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Now again, in context, is this sign supposed to be something where you think, I don't know, did God do that or not? It could have been a coincidence. Some people want to say uh, the word virgin there in the Hebrew and Greek just means young woman because this miracle is too hard to believe. It just means young woman, and she had a child and named him Emmanuel. Now, how many of you are utterly convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that God can be trusted because a young woman had a baby? Anyone? I mean, that's a wonderful thing. It's beautiful, praise God. But is that really so miraculous that your mind is blown? No. It's as, it's as normal as Tuesday. It's, that can't be it. 
what was the kid's name? God with us. A virgin will bear a son. Isaiah's going to tell you more about this kid. If you just turn the page, you'll be in Isaiah chapter 9. Look at what this child is like. Isaiah 9 verse 6. What's the text say? For to us, a, a, a who? A child is born. To us, a son is given. What's he going to be like? The government will be on his shoulder. His name shall be called. What an, this is the name right here. Wonderful counselor, full of divine wisdom. Uh, what's the second aspect of his name? God. Do you realize how incredible this is for, for a Jew to write? Unto us a child is born. A child is born. A child is born. And his name is Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace are... There'll be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Who's going to do this? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 700 years later. A young lady in a little no-name town gets a visit from an angel. It's him. This is the child. God has come. God with us. You know, we thought God with us meant sometimes when I pray, I feel his presence. Is God with you in that way? Well, sure. Sure he is. But is that what this text is talking about? No, no, no. Folks. God with us. The virgin birth is telling you God came. God came. God came. He's written himself into the story. You know, we're happy with God as a philosophy sometime or an idea. But it's different when he comes and messes with his creation. When he gets up in our faces, God has come. Sometimes you'll hear people say, right, how can you Christians say you have the only way? Have you ever heard that one? Maybe you felt it. How can you Christians say you have an exclusive claim? And really, this is the reason. Jesus isn't just another good teacher or a holy man with good spiritual advice. Who, is, who are Christians claiming him to be? Who did he claim himself to be? God. If you claim yourself to be God, C.S. Lewis taught us this, right? There's only a couple options. What can you do with someone who claims to be God? Anybody in here, if we try that, hey, I'm God, what would you do with them? Ha <laughs> ha, are you joking? No, I'm God. Okay, we have a couple options. Evil liar trying to start a cult. Option two. Call 911, they need medical treatment. Option three, it's probably not likely from anybody in here. Option three, what's the only option? You don't want to mention it. That person's God. C.S. Lewis said, you have to do this with Jesus. His people claimed to be God because he claimed to be God, and he showed himself to be God. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be judge of all the earth. He claimed it. Lord, liar, lunatic, what is he? Is he a liar? 
You know what's funny is nobody says that about Jesus. None of the other religions say that about Jesus. What is everybody happy to say about Jesus? He's a good teacher. Nobody calls him a liar. You can't read, you can't read him and see liar. C.S. Lewis says, well, if he's not a liar, is he lunatic? Is he crazy? Uh, the, the old English would, uh, he's as crazy as a poached egg, Lewis says. Something like that. Americans don't eat poached eggs, right? Is he crazy? You read Jesus, what do you think? Do you see a crazy man? No, it's the highest ethical teaching you'll ever find. You've got one option now. What was that third one? He's Lord. He's God. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York, and he likes to say, you know, all religions have a good teacher that comes and says, let me show you the way. Let me show you the way to God. And Jesus is different because he doesn't come and say, let me show you the way. What does he say? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. How can you say this? I'm God. (laughs) That's what the virgin birth is telling you. God has come in Jesus. If he's come, we've got to reckon with him. We've got to respond to him. We've got to answer him to him. We've got to relate to him. Number one, God keeps his promises. That's what the virgin birth shows us. Number two, God has come. Number three, look at verse 21. The angel says to Joseph, she's going to bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus for he's going to do something. Did you all see what it is he's going to do, this little baby? He's going to save his people from their sins. He's going to save It's really interesting that the angel didn't say he's going to come and teach his people a better way to live. That's what a lot of people think Christianity is. I'm going to try to be a good person, and Jesus will teach me a better way to live. And then when you think you've arrived at that and you are now the good person, you don't need Christianity anymore because you already have what they're selling. That's, That's real. Jesus did not come to teach you how to be a better person. He came to save you from your sins. God had to become human because salvation has to come from outside of us. There's no one here that can save. I can't save myself. I can't save you. We need someone to come and save us from our sins. You know, sin is probably the most hated belief in Christianity, and it may be the most easily provable part of Christianity as well. We're all good people, so the whole world is filled with all these good people. Yeah, Why are we like this? Why are we violent and broken and selfish and cruel and stealing and robbing and pillaging? We're good? Oh, you just need more education. Folks, it's the educated sinners who do most of the damage. We're sinners. Do Do you still think you're a good person? I hope nobody who comes to this church regularly is still clinging to that mythology. Talk about myth. You think you're a good person? Still clinging to that? Do you keep your own standard? Have you ever done anything to someone else that makes you really mad when somebody does it to you? I've done that countless times. Millions of times. By my own standard, I'm not good. Now try on God's. You won't last very long. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
every time. Love your neighbor as yourself. Have I ever done either one of those perfectly? I don't think so. We're under God's just displeasure. We cannot atone for what we've done. Remember that skeleton in your closet that you didn't want to think about and you're mad at me for bringing it up? It's Christmas. I shouldn't do things like that. How are you going to atone for that? You can't. Remember what you did? Remember what you said? I can't atone for it. I can't get it right. I have no hope on my own. You know what our only hope is? It's crazy in this verse. This little baby has people. This little fetus, he has people. His people. How does, how does he have people? Because he's God. And he has come to save them from their sins. And he didn't come, you'll notice, to try to save them. Go, oh, Jesus, we hope you can make it. He's going to give it his best shot. Oh, no, no, what did he come to do? He will. He will save his people from their sins. And the virgin birth sets you up for that. Why does Jesus have a perfect life that you can look to as your righteousness before God? Because Jesus did not share the sinful nature from his human father. He has the full human nature and biological DNA, however that works, from his mother. And then he has the divine reality from his father. He lived a perfect life because he is the God-man, one person, two natures. He never sinned. That's why you can be made right with God. The virgin birth sets up the cross. How can God pay for our sins? Well, the only way to pay for sins is death. The wages of sin is death. God has to be killable. Why did Jesus take on flesh? It's not so we could be cute once a year. It's so that he could obey as a substitute for us and live the life we should have lived as a true human being and then die in your place. Jesus took on flesh so that flesh could be killed for you and for me. And yet if he was just a perfect man, only human, he could atone for one person's life. And yet because he's the God-man, how many hells can he take upon himself on the cross? All of them. He can pay the human price as the human representative with an eternal echo because he is God. The virgin birth gets you ready. He came to save you from your sins. Do you know that you need to be saved from your sins? It's not a, it's not a pleasant thing to think about. Um, it goes against every inclination of our heart, right? Whenever I get front, confronted, if I have an argument with my wife and I'm wrong, which is probably 89% of the conversations, no official study on that. Um, when I'm wrong and I get confronted, my first impulse is defensiveness. Does anyone else share this problem? I know some of you do. I've seen it, okay? Because... Because you have a hard time admitting what you say, oh, nobody's perfect. 
I love that line. Did you know none of us in here were actually thinking you were perfect? <laughs> Thank you for letting us know that's not really a problem for us, right? No, what do we have a hard time admitting? What do you have a hard time admitting? You've sinned a lot. But just come clean with it. It's real, it's true. I have. And I can't fix that on my own. I can't save that. Do you see what the virgin birth is telling you? God keeps his promises. God has come, and God has come to save you from your sins. Yes. Last one. The last thing to see from the virgin birth. The virgin birth not only means that God has come to be with us. It means that God wants you to be with him. God with us. One of the greatest forms of love is that of presence, don't you think? Not Christmas presence. Presence. Being there. Being in it. You know, people bring up the, the question of the problem of evil, right? How are we supposed to understand evil and injustice when it comes to these religious ideas? What do we do with this? That's a long conversation. I can't try to solve that right now. But I just wanted to get into how Christianity has the best answer for it. Nobody else can show you a God who can not only give you an answer and a hope for evil ending one day, but he's also the only one that can tell you or really sit next to you in it and say, I know what it's like. I've endured it. I tasted it. I have compassion for you. I've felt pain. I've been mistreated. I've known loss. I know. He's with us. In fact, I came to be killable for you. I came to die and rise so that you could rise as well. I came to be with you, Jesus would say, so that you can be with me. I want you to be with me. And this is why I've been calling this series Christmas with a Jewish Tax Collector. Matthew's writing this. He's a first century Jew. He's a religious Jew. And he loves his Bible as the Old Testament. And he's going to tell you every other page throughout his gospel. The scripture was fulfilled. The scripture was fulfilled. The scripture was fulfilled. He loves to show you how Jesus answered all of God's promises throughout the Old Testament. But he's not just a religious theologian. Do you remember what his job was before apostle? Tax collector. He has a past. He's rebelled against the God he knew. He has committed evils and crimes against his neighborhood. He's messed it up horribly. And Matthew can never forget what Jesus said when Jesus walked up to that tax booth. Do you remember what Jesus said to Matthew, the tax collector? He said it was two words, follow me. And the Jewish tax collector then sits and thinks, you want me to be with you? You're going to accept me? into your group, into your family, into your kingdom? You're gonna live with me on that kind of a level in relationship of fellowship and love? What did Matthew do when he heard those words? He got up and went. 
The virgin birth is saying the same words to you. I came to be with you so that you could be with me. Follow me. When you choose to follow Jesus, you're not just picking one of the religious leaders out of the pile. You're following the Son of God. It's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? A virgin birth. But maybe harder to believe than the miracle aspect is the meaning aspect. Do you believe that God came, that, that you need to be saved? Do you believe that Jesus came to save you? What extent, what cost, what, what kind of a trip did he make to save you? Leave his eternal glory, take on flesh, and be a baby? Walk this earth, die on a cross? Coming to be with us so that we could be with him. Could that possibly be true? Merry Christmas. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for the great gift of your love that we see in the gift of your son. We thank you for this incredible miracle that you have obviously done. As you promised, as you dreamed it up, as you wrote it out, as you said, the baby would be born. His name's Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came, the eternal son of God who took on flesh for us. He came to be with us, came to save us from our sins so that we could be with you forever. We pray, Lord, for clear minds, open hearts, to believe your word, and that we would even know and celebrate, some of us for the first time, some of us freshly again, that you love us like this. You've saved us and we are yours. We thank you in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fountainoflifefellowship.com. FOLFCRC.com.